This is the Outreach.fm podcast. Nowadays, sometimes you can look at the world and think, we've gone crazy. Things seem out of control. But remember, God is always in control. Are you looking for something fresh, new, and exciting? This is the Outreach.fm podcast. Taking the positive message of Jesus Christ to the world. Proclaiming he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Broadcasting from the Upper Room Studios to the world. Are you ready? Let's get into it. This is Outreach.fm. And now, here's Pastor William Luffman. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 24. Amen. And if you're wondering why some people are hollering, I have a little buzzer up here. No, no, no. No, it's not really what's happening. We just got some people that like the Bible that much. Can Can you imagine that we have people that like the Bible enough to cheer when you open your Bible? I cheer when I open my Bible because it turned me into a real man and a real husband. And somehow or another, God's figured out some kind of way to use me. And uh, that's a good thing. So Luke 24, verse 1. Now, upon the first day of the week, everybody say Sunday morning. Very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. We know this to be the women uh, that had come to anoint what... They had seen the dead body of Jesus and they had come to this tomb where they knew he had been laid and they had come to bring some anointing because, of course, they expected his body to be decomposing by this time. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. So there was a surprise right away. This giant stone that was put there by the Romans, it had a seal on it. Uh, It was made of a certain plaster and clay so that if it was moved or broken, you know, they would know. And it was a massive stone, most people believe. And but when they got there, they didn't have to ask anyone to roll the stone away. The stone was already gone. And the Bible says they entered in and they found not the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say praise God? So we got we got we got some news right now. There's some news to report. Can you imagine if they'd have had Twitter and they'd have had Facebook and they would have had all the can can you imagine? Oh, he's not here. Oh my god, he's not here. And they'd have been taking pictures. I'm serious. Look. Can you imagine what would have happened if they'd have had communication that day? And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. We know from the other gospels, these are angels. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, they said to these women that had come to anoint this dead body, why seek ye the living among the dead? Wow. Now that's big news right there. He is not here, but he is risen. Somebody shout. I remember when I got, you know, every time you get good news, good news, if it's really good news, it brings, even with, even if you're not meaning to, you have a response. Yeah. Oh my God. Whoa. You know, and, uh, we as human beings, when we get that, we're, we would call it, we use the word astonished. We get astonished by something and notice what they did here. They found out he is not here. 
but is risen. In other words, somebody didn't come and get him. His body, you can look anywhere you want to on the planet for the dead body of Jesus, but you're not going to find it because there is no dead body of Jesus. He has risen. Remember how he yet spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. So Jesus had told them over 60 times, he said, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going away. In a little while, you're not gonna see me, but I'm gonna be raised from the dead. We learned on Thursday night, he said it 60 times. He did everything he could to prepare them for this moment, but it was bigger than they could imagine. They heard the words that he said, I'm going to rise again, but they still, it wasn't, they, did, they could not really grasp that inside of their heart. They couldn't really get it. But sure enough, exactly what he said would happen has happened. Now we won't read the rest of the story, but we know what happened with these women. They went running. And they ran back and they told the disciples, oh my goodness, he's not there. He, we saw some, I don't know, I guess they were angels. He's, he's risen. And the Bible says that Peter and John, who've been hiding out back there and they were waiting. All of a sudden, the Bible says they take off to the tomb. And they're running to find out and they look in and sure enough, he is gone. I've been to Israel twice. I've been to where they say the tomb of Jesus is. I've reported to you more than once. I am a reporter. I've been there personally firsthand. I've looked in and there's nothing there. That's the good news. Amen. Now there are every religion that is a major religion in the world does boast that there is something after death. Every religion boasts that. Some boast that there's some utopia, this room, it's full of all this stuff and it's a heavenly type thing. One religion boasts that. Another religion boasts that when you die, you, you're reincarnated. You, you live again in a different form, but you keep on and it, you just keep on. So every major religion reports that there is something after this life. Uh, Muhammad said, though, he did say this himself. He said, I don't know the purpose of life. Buddha said, seek for the truth. And Confucius said, I am not the way. But in John chapter 14, Jesus told them, he said, now let not your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't worry about it. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm coming again to receive you so that where I am, you may be also. In my father's house, there are many mansions. And if I go to prepare a place for you again, I'm coming again. And if you read down, and I've recited that many times at funerals, I've done 400 funerals, home going celebrations, whatever you want to call them. And I have been at the, I've been at the gravesite of babies that were stillborn and people that were 95 and some that were murdered and some that just died in their sleep and some in a car wreck and some that just lived old and celebrated. I've been at all of that and death always looks so final. But Jesus said in John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come unto the Father except by me. So I want to distinguish what you believe in our God. There is a difference in our God and other gods. And the difference is our God told us there was another side of death and then he proved it. Can you shout amen? amen? 
So all these people that ran to the tomb and, and, but think about what must have happened out there on the cross just three days before, because when Jesus died out there and it was in public, it was in the open and, and there were people gathered around and the, the thieves on either side and they watched him die. They knew he was dead because when he bowed his head for the last time and said, you know, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. The Bible says the Roman soldiers took a spear, thrust it into his side, and basically his insides emptied onto the ground. They knew he was dead. They watched him take him down from the cross. He was a dead man. They saw it. And here's what they thought. They thought to themselves, we will never see him again. That's it. That's the last we'll ever see of him. And you know, every time I've been to a funeral and every time I've officiated it, every time I've stood and hold the hands of moms and dads and grandmas and, and grandpas and sisters and aunts, uncles and all the relatives and great friends, I've stood there and I've watched them tremble. But I always say to them, this is not the end. If this person is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't say goodbye to them. Because goodbye is final. This is not final. I always say to them, you tell them I'll see you later. Jesus out on that cross that day and he died and they watched it and they knew he was dead and there was no life in his body and they took his lifeless body to this tomb and they laid it there. But, but something happened on that third day when they walked in. They saw something that they did not expect. Can you shout amen? amen. Now they should have known because when you look at the life of Jesus, he had already had these interludes with death while he was here. In three and a half years, we had a man named Jairus that came to Jesus and said, you know, my little daughter is lying here and she's sick and, and, and all these things are going on. And, and Jesus gets delayed in the middle of it. And while he's, while he's still talking to Jairus, he's dealing with the woman with the issues of blood and getting her healed. Another report comes to Jairus and said, don't even trouble the master anymore. Your daughter is dead. And Jesus said, he pushed that person to the side. He marched over to where that little girl was and they were already lamenting. They were already weeping. They were already outside crying because she had been pronounced dead. And Jesus came in and said, why are you weeping? Your daughter is not dead. She's only asleep. Now here he comes and encounters death, real death, and he reduces it to the word sleep. And he said, she's only asleep. And he goes in and he takes her by the hand and says, Telakutnina. And he picks her up and all of a sudden life comes back in. And she sets up and the news is there. And she walks out of there. Can you imagine the kind of stir that took place that day? Now, by this time, Jesus hadn't even gone to the cross. And he already knew how to overcome death. There was another woman at Nain and her little boy was dead and in a casket and they're carrying him along to the graveside and as they're carrying him along, there's this intersection with Jesus and before you know it, they look in that casket and that little boy sets up and he comes alive. There's another man that's more popular that we all know the story of his name is Lazarus. He's a great friend of Jesus. Jesus has been to his house many times. He's eaten there. Mary and Mar Martha are his sisters and he's a close friend. And while Jesus is ministering in one city, the news comes to him, hey, Lazarus is very sick. You need to get over to where he is. Jesus, it's almost as if he didn't even hear what they said. He kept on and he stayed a little longer and he stayed a little longer and he kept ministering to everybody else. And by the time he made his way over there, we know the story. Lazarus was in that 
tomb where he had already died and he was four days dead and his body was decomposing. Jesus didn't break a sweat. Jesus didn't get in anguish. Jesus, the only reason he wept was because they didn't have any faith. He walked out there. He looked at that tomb and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And all of a sudden, all coming out of there, he was still in all the grave clothes. He comes staggering out of that grave. I want you to know you serve a God that took death and pinned it to the mat. I want you to know that you serve a God that has already come in contact with death and has showed that death is no match for your God. Can you shout amen? amen. Now go with me back to John chapter 19. I'm going to go there first. John 19. I'm going to teach you a Greek word today. How many of you are ready, are ready to hear to learn some Greek? Now, somebody will say, well, I don't understand that. It's all Greek to me. Well, today we're going to understand, you know, we're going to understand. We're going to get some Greek. We're going to go back a few days now. We're going to go back to Jesus on the cross, and there's a reason we're going back there. We know this is about the resurrection and the celebration, and we certainly will do that before we leave here today. I hope you're saving your best shout for the end. I hope by the time we get to the end today, certainly when we show what we're going to show today, I hope that you're going to be on your feet shouting and just, I hope the revelation is going to get so big in you that you can't contain yourself. Amen. I hope some of you that normally can just get one hand up are going to get the second one up. I hope some of you that kind of go like this, but you never get up. I hope you kind of get up and do that a little bit. I hope some of you every now and then do that, kind of do this a little bit. I hope some of you do this a little bit, start doing this a little bit. Amen. We're going back to the cross. Jesus has almost expired now. He's been on that cross several hours. He's gone through the anguish. He's gone through all these things. He's down to his last couple of phrases that he's going to utter in that mortal body. And he's down to the next to the last thing he'll say. Uh, and we're going to look at this in uh, verse 28 of Matthew 19, or excuse me, John 19. And the Bible says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished. Everybody say accomplished. Now, this is a huge statement here. There was a lot that had to be accomplished by Jesus Christ. And it says that the scripture might be fulfilled. So he is fulfilling scripture. They're literally watching the Bible being fulfilled in front of their very eyes. Hundreds and hundreds of years of scripture that has been spoken for, for centuries out of the mouths of prophets. They are watching in front of them. They're watching it come to life in front of them. Jesus said, I thirst. He's near the end here. And the Bible says, now there was set a vessel full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. Everybody say finished. finished. So I'm going to teach you a Greek word today for the word or the phrase it is finished. It's only one. Those three words in, in English, it is finished, are only one word in the Greek. It's tetelestai. Tetelestai. Everybody say tetelestai. The more you say it, the more it'll roll right off your tongue. Everyone say tetelestai. Uh, I'll spell it for you here. It's T-E-T-E-L-E-S-T-A-I. Tetelestai. And what Jesus shouted that day, what they heard on that cross, I don't believe he said it. I actually believe he shouted it. And the reason I believe it is because when you study this word from the historical accounts of that day, 
whenever someone would get finished, they wouldn't go, well, finished. They go, Tetelestai! And he hollered it out from the cross. Now, I'm going to unlock some things about this word because I want you to get it. In, the, in Latin, it's the word consummatum est, or it is consummated. In other words, what, what was supposed to be done is done. So I want you to kind of get, uh, I want you to get a part of this. And I want you to really, I want you to give me a chance to define this word because the bigger you let this word get in you, the greater you're going to appreciate what he did. And your salvation is going to mean more to you. So I want you to kind of give me your attention. Charles Spurgeon said, Tetelestai conveys an ocean of meaning in a drop of language, a mere drop. It, it would need all the other words that were ever spoken or ever can be spoken to explain this one word. It is an altogether immeasurable. It is high. I cannot attain to it. It is deep. I cannot fathom it. I want you to hear tetelestai. I want you to get, I'm going to give you more information about it. But I want you to hang on that word for a minute. It's very important. A.C. Gablin said, never before and never after was ever spoken one word which contains and means so much. It is the shout of the mighty victor. And who can measure the depths of this one word? A.W. Pink said, eternity will be needed to make manifest all that tetelestai uh, contains. In other words, when he said that, it was not the end of something. It was really the beginning of something. Let me read some more here for you. Charles Simon said, Simeon said, every word indeed that proceeded from our Savior's lips deserves the most attentive consideration, but tetelestai eclipses all of them. To do justice to it is beyond the ability of mere men or angels or, or Pastor William. So please help me as I try to help you. Its height and depth and length and breadth are absolutely unsearchable. Warren Wiersbe said, he took my bankruptcy and covered it with his solvency. Now listen to what he's talking about tetelestai here. Here's what he also said. He didn't just make a down payment and then expect me to keep up the installments. I mean, you know, if you go get something where you make a down payment, all right, but now you're going to have to make payments. I want you to understand when he said tetelestai, he was not saying I'm making a down payment, but now you're going to have to keep up. You're going to have to keep up payments. He said, no, I want you to know tetelestai. It's finished. Tetelestai is not a cry of defeat of a dying man, but a cry of triumph of a living, life-giving Redeemer, a divine proclamation that the work of redemption had been fully, finally, and forever accomplished. Please let me read some more. Uh, Tetelestai is the perfect tense of the verb teleo, which is derived from telos, or a goal achieved, a consummation, or a result attained. And it means to bring something to a successful end or to its intended destined goal. And yet in Jesus' mouth, it means the end for the beginning. Let me read some more. It does not just mean to complete a task, but to carry it out fully, to bring it to the finish or to perfection. It follows that Jesus' cry of tetelestai is a word of finality and yet at the same time, a word of beginning. The idea is it is finished, it stands finished, it always will be finished. It cannot be changed, ever. 
Are you listening to me? The perfect tense, tetelestia, is the perfect tense which describes a past completed act with present effect, emphasizing that the past completed event of Christ's death on the cross has ongoing and even permanent effects. Jesus' sacrifice may, may, have, may have occurred in time and space, but the results will last for eternity. Tetelestai! 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 When he said that on that cross, those shock waves went all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And every human being that had been born and every sin that had ever been committed that accumulated over 4,000 years of human time, when he said, Tetelestai, it touched every sin and every person and it changed it forever. And yet at the same time when he said it, it went out into space and it went out into the atmosphere where there are angels and the Holy Spirit is working, Tetelestai, so that everybody that would be born after that that would fall into sin, that would fall into darkness, that would fall into dismay. The moment they come to the cross and they identify with what he did and who he was, and when you give your life to him, tetelestai, it goes into effect in your life. Can you shout amen? This is huge. No wonder that Spurgeon and Simeon and all these guys said, the more we explain it, the, no, the more we know we're not doing a good job because it's that huge and that deep and that wide. When we hear the words, he has risen, it tells us that Tetelestia is still working out there. The world doesn't understand Tetelestai. Your sins have already been paid for. Run, run to the cross. Come to the cross of Jesus Christ. Can you shout amen? In those days when servants, when a servant would complete a task, they would come in and say to the person that they were serving, Tetelestai. And what that would mean to the person they were serving, everything you assigned me to do has been perfectly and fully completed. That's what they would say. They wouldn't say I have finished. They would say Tetelestai. And that would let the person they were serving know, well, then that's, I don't even have to check it. I don't even have to go look in on this because it's done. Can you shout amen? amen? If a father would send his son on a mission and he would tell him what to do on this mission and everything that was to be accomplished, when that son would accomplish it, and we're talking about the honorable people, when the son would accomplish it, he would come back to his father and his father would say, well, and he would say, Tetelestai. And the father would then know that that, fa that that son had done every single thing. He was told, his mission was accomplished. Amen. Are you listening to? The father would not have to go back and redo it or go back over it again. It was done. Amen. Are you hearing me? When the priests would examine the animals and, and, you know, even for the sacrifice as they did at the Passover, which Jesus was the perfect lamb of God, you know, they had to get certain animals and they had to be without spot. There was a certain animal that had to be offered. And when the, uh, when the, when the priest would go in and he would find that right animal and the, the, the family would bring it, the animal would get approved when it was time. And he had offered that animal for, for the people. He would walk out and say to that family, Tetelestai. That offering has been accepted and it has now been received. When an artist, by the way, even in, we know when we go back to the Renaissance age, and by the way, if you study history, of course the history they're rewriting now, don't trust it because they're taking God out of everything. They're taking Christianity, the roots of it out of, as if it never existed. And without it, we wouldn't even have America. 
It's funny that all the legislatures, and I'm talking on both sides, and all the people want to silence the Christians and silence the voice of Christians, but without it, we would not have America. The pilgrims came here, and then the forefathers came here because they wanted freedom of religion. And by the way, well, we don't need to have any one religion. Well, I can tell you they did, and theirs was Christian. 49 of the 56 people that signed the Declaration of Independence were declared Christians, and most of them were ministers. Make sure you know real history and not modern history. But artists in the Renaissance, a lot of these people actually were, had Christian roots. And when an artist or a sculptor would go in and they would finally get that last uh, brushstroke on that, that masterpiece, that painting, or that sculptor would do that last bit or maybe smooth that last spot. And maybe they'd worked on it for days, weeks, months, some of them years, as we know from history, when they finally said, okay, when they finally looked at it and looked at it, looked at it, finally, when they were at a place of satisfaction, they would say, Tedelestei, I, meaning it is done. They're, I can't do anymore. It's as perfect as per, that is perfection in front of me. I want you to understand when Jesus shouted it from the cross, I, what I've done is perfect. What I've done is a masterpiece. What I, it doesn't need any other, it doesn't need the help of the world. It doesn't need some new age theology. It doesn't need anything else mixed in with it. It doesn't need an ism put in there with it. It was enough what he did. <clears throat> Can you shout amen? The merchants uh, in those days, if someone had a debt and it was paid off, it was not enough just to pay that debt off because that was tough. But when the, 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 the creditors were required in many times, in many places, if someone came in to their place and they'd had a debt and they had paid it off, it was almost mandatory for the creditor to stand up and go, and point at the person saying, I want everybody to know the debt's been paid. They don't know anything anymore. Look at your neighbor and say, Tedelestei. Look at your other neighbor and say, Tedelestei. Because see, your debt has been paid off. Can you shout amen? So when you, when you look at this word, and I've studied it, and there's so much more, and I just wanted to give, and I want to encapsulate it and give you the best, the best that I can give humanly. I want you to grasp it. That when Jesus said it, he knew what he was saying. He didn't just say it to be saying it. He didn't just choose some kind of random word because he was about to expire. He didn't just make that word up. He said it because it was a fact. Amen. And it was truth. Can you shout amen? amen? Now, go back with me to John chapter 12 real fast. If you love the Lord, shout amen. amen. Say, I. Jesus, before he passed, he said to them in verse 23, the hour is come in chapter 12 of John that the son of man should be glorified. It's kind of a strange word to use because uh, he wasn't just talking about the resurrection. He was talking about on that cross and that looked like anything but glory. But you need to, you and I need to understand that God hides things. The Bible talks all about the mysteries of God how the hidden things of the world, they're the secret place of the Most High God. You know, we've been talking about that a lot on Sunday mornings. We've been talking about the kingdom of God is hidden. You can't say it's here. You can't say it's there. But actually, it's more real than anything. 
There's so many things about our lives that we will never know if we don't get close to God. Now, whether you're 2, 22, 42, 72, 92, or 102, as long as you've got breath in your body, it is never too late to find out who you are. The great mystery of life is, you know, listen, oh God, I didn't want to get into rambling this morning. But every time when we have talked to couples over the years and their marriage gets in trouble, when we hear this phrase come out of one of the other's mouths, well, I love them, but I'm not in love anymore. Oh boy, there's danger in the house. Or when they say something like this, I got to go find myself. Well, honey, unless you're about to become a monk and go park at the church and live in the church and stay in the spirit before God, you're going to find something, but it's not going to be you. Now, I know this doesn't seem like it fits, but when you're a pastor, you've got to take these little paths every now and then. But in God, he said the Son of Man is going to be glorified. It seemed like a strange statement, but sometimes there's glory in moments that don't look glorious. People will come by and, ah, ha, look at them. Ah. You know, they mock Jesus on the cross. If you're the son of God, come down. I thought you were the son of God. Well, if you are, come down from the cross. Because they thought there surely is no glory. There's no glory with the cross. There's no glory in the cross. That's what they thought. That's what, that's what you know, that was a shameful place. They didn't understand, though, that day something else was taking place. Verse 24. Now, here is a, here's a huge scripture. This is such a great scripture, and it really does talk about what we just said. Jesus said, now the Son of Man should be glorified. Then he starts talking about farming. What the heck is he doing here? Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. He was talking about himself. He said, I'm about to be glorified, but it won't be like you thought because you thought I was going to have a kingdom. You thought I was taking over now. He said, oh, no, no. There's a much bigger plan, a master plan that is so enormous and so huge that it will shake the foundations back to the beginning and it will come all the way into the present and go into eternity. He said, because when this corn of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it's going gonna, it's gonna to mess with the earth. It's going to mess with death. It's going to mess with the finality of death. And all of a sudden, everybody else, when they die, they're not going to stay dead. They're going to put them in the ground. But people won't be able to see it. When they take their body out to the gravesite. they'll say, poor old Joe, there he lies. But they don't know, poor old Joe's already got up. Poor, poor old Joe's already, poor old Joe's already walking around. Poor old, poor old Joe's got some new clothes. Poor old Joe's alive. Can you shout amen? Oh, my, 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 Can you shout amen? And then he says in verse 32, if I be lifted up from the earth, meaning if they put me on that cross, we used to sing a dumb song because we didn't understand about lift Jesus higher, lift Jesus higher. Now, if you can just keep that in the mindset of we're just praising and worshiping, that's fine. But if you're talking about the scripture, if you got it from that scripture, that's all about him on the cross. But he said, when they lift me up that day and when I get to that moment and I say, 
Tetelestai. And I say, Father, in your hands, I commend my spirit. The whole world is going to change forever. Can you shout amen? amen. Acts 2.22 says this from the King James Version. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Peter's preaching to these people. He's preaching to them. It says, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken him by wicked hands, have crucified and slain, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held down anymore. Let me tell you something. Jesus dealt with death head on. Jesus took it on when he went to that cross. When he got up out of that grave, he had an announcement to make. And he told them this, go to, we're going to close, go to Revelations chapter one. Well, we're going to try to close. If you shout a little, we might close. Somebody said the roast is on, man. Come on, pastor, get to the end here. Let's go to, let's go over here to Revelations chapter one. Now, Revelation is written by the apostle John. John has five books in the New Testament, second only to Paul. He has the gospel of St. John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and of course, the book of Revelation. And this revelation was not John's, even though some people say that it's not. It was clearly Jesus' revelation that was given to John. And they tried to kill John, by the way. If you study history, if you get Fox's book of martyrs, it'll tell you how all the apostles, the disciples were murdered, and all of them were, were martyred, but not John. They actually, they say that they tried to boil him alive and he wouldn't boil. So they took him up out of it and they were scared them that he wouldn't bowl. And they said, uh, just take him out and put him on that island then. So they took him out there and put him on an island by himself. He got out there on that island and he got out there and God started to talking to him. And then all of a sudden Jesus appeared to him one day out on that island and Jesus began to give him this incredible revelation and he took him back in time and talked about how there was a war in heaven, how the devil came with his angels and tried to you know, overthrow God and a third of the, those angels fell with the devil, but how Jesus said, you know, I, I'm he, you know, and all, we're going to read that in a minute. Jesus said, you overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb, by the word of your testimony. Yeah, yeah. People get all nervous when they read the book of Revelation and you ought to be shouting every time you read it. Yeah. I shout every time I read the book of Revelation. What do you think about the tribulation? I said, I'm not going to tribulate. If you read carefully, after you read past, the, the churches are all mentioned in chapter, Revelation chapter two and chapter three. When you get on to chapter four and it's all deciphered, finally, God says to John, come up hither. And when he does, he never mentions the church on the earth anymore because there's a thing called the rapture. And there's bowls and there's vows and there's all, and there's seven years of tribulation, all that stuff going on. But thank God there's a first flight out. Now, I want you to know that if you decide to stay, you can have my house. You're welcome to my car. Praise God. You can take a dip in my pool. Going over there is fine, but I'm not going to be there. I made my reservation. Amen. I got a reservation in heaven. Set another place at the table. Write another name on the roll. Praise God. Shine up a crown. Another son of God is coming home. Praise God. 
So he's out there and John gets, look at verse five. Now he gets this revelation. By the way, verse three says, says, don't be afraid of the book of Revelations. You're blessed if you read it, blessed if you hear it, and blessed if you keep it. Verse three tells you the book of Revelation is a blessing book. You're blessed if you hear it, you're blessed if you read it, and you're blessed if you keep it. That's what he says. Of course, the devil wants to make you scared of the book of Revelation. The only reason you'd be scared is because you're still in sin. By the way, Jesus took the sting of sin out. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, Oh, grave, you know, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? Jesus, that's, that's really what Jesus did when he, he took all that sin. He took the sting out, but you got to walk with him. Yeah. Amen. But look down at verse uh, five. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. Everybody say witness. witness. Now, whenever you're going to try to convince someone of something, uh, especially if you're in a court of law, you have to have this thing called witnesses. You can't just, the, the lawyer can't just come out there and go, he did this, he did this, he did this, he did this, he did this. And then the jury go, yep, he sure did. No, then the lawyer has to have witnesses to prove that what he just said is really true. There was a man named, let me, let me, I got, let me look at my notes here. This is really pretty cool. Let me give you a man's name. There's a man, in the Guinness Book of World Records, there is a successful trial lawyer called Sir Lionel Luck, who, L-U-C-K-H-O-O, he was, he was an agnostic. And in his day, they said, we want you to take the Bible and examine all the evidence about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and come back to us. You are a lawyer and tell me what you think it concludes. He came back and he said, uh, I'm born again now. Because <laughs> I'm telling you, there is overwhelming evidence. Can you shout amen? That's a, so look at your neighbor and say, that's my God. During the French Revolution, somebody said to Talleyrand, Bishop Auden, uh, he said, the Christian religion, what is it? It would be easy to start a religion like that. Oh, yes, Talleyrand replied. All one would have to do is get crucified, take the sins of all, and rise again on the third day. And that's why our God's the only God. Can you shout amen? amen. Let's read some more. So the first, the faithful witness and the first, everyone say first. First, first begotten of the dead. Something happened there's another side of death. And Jesus got to that other side. But when he did, he made a doorway. He didn't just get to the other side and say, whew, I made it out, I'm alive again. He didn't slam the door behind him. He took the door off the hinges. And said, come follow me. Can you shout amen? Notice this, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, washed us from our sins in his own blood, who's made us kings and priests unto God. Uh, verse eight, Jesus said, I am alpha. Now remember, you can shout anywhere along the way. Shouts make a pastor go faster. Silence makes us Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's read the Bible. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning, the ending, the Lord which is, which was, and which is to come. Woo. Verse 10, John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. This all happened on a Sunday. Can you imagine this? You're out there alone on that island. You're doing your little worship time with God and all of a sudden the Spirit of God comes on you. Jesus appears to you. Wow. 
Verse 11, Jesus again said, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What you read, write it in a book and send it to the churches. What you see, you write it down and send it to all the churches. And then he lists them. Then he gives us a description of what he, with his physical eyes, could kind of make out the appearance of Jesus. And you get down to verse 17. John said, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. He was like... Everybody say he fell out in the spirit. Man, I tell you what, sometimes people get prayed on. Somebody lay hands on something. Boom, you know, oh my God, what happened up there? And he laid his right hand on me saying unto me, fear not. What was he telling him not to fear? He's telling him not to fear death. Don't fear death. Don't sweat death. You are not going to be asked to deal with it. You are not going to be asked to fight it. You are not going to be asked to overcome it. I'm telling you, I'm the one. I am he. I'm the first. I'm the last. Woo, glory to God. Hallelujah. Verse 18, Jesus said, I'm he that lives and I was dead. Now it was real. I was really dead. But behold, I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and hell in my hands. Can you shout amen this morning? Oh, tetelestai. 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 If we really could get out of our flesh and what I mean by that, if we could get to where we don't let our emotions dominate our movements, whenever a Christian passes and we go out to that, to that service or to that, to that memorial, there ought to be masses of people stand up going, Tetelestai, Tetelestai. Jesus has already dealt with this. It's already dealt with. My little mom in 1993, she uh, left this life. She got out of that little broken body she was in. And, but I remember, and I know you know my story, but I remember when I was a young preacher and my mom was not a Christian. And, 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 and I remember that day when I was preaching and, and I don't know if I was doing good. I, I don't, I don't know, but I was doing the best I could. And I remember I gave the altar call and I've told you this. I looked in that little old church and those big old wooden pews. And I looked to the back and I said, does anybody need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Is anybody in here, if you've never made him Lord, you, you want to be saved, raise your hand. And I paused and nobody raised their hand. And I was getting ready to, to go in and end the service. And all of a sudden, I looked in the back and I saw this little hand kind of shake up like that. And I could tell that was my mom's hand. She's a little bitty woman. I looked back there and, I, and, and in my heart, I thought, oh, my mom, my mom is lifting her hand. My mom is lifting her hand. And I said, well, come on down here and we're going to pray. She got up out of that chair and she kind of wobbled down there to the front and the pastor and we went over and we prayed with her. She started weeping and she started crying. I'd worked so hard to get her to come to church. She finally came to church. And let me tell you something, until she died, until she was physically incapable, she was in church the rest of her life. Amen. 15 more years. 15 more years. 
And then one day I got the call. I actually got a page. It was back in the late 90s or the mid 90s and 93. And I got a page. I had a pager on and I was painting houses, of course, which I did for 20 years. And I'm out there painting the house and my little pager went off and, and I went back and called. And I think it was Ginger and Ginger had gotten the information. She had been at work in Nashville and they said, well, your mom's passed. And you know, I really didn't get, I, I, I didn't get sad. All of a sudden, I, I, what I thought in that moment, I remembered going back to that moment where I saw that little hand going up. And then I remembered what Jesus said, Tetelestai, Tetelestai, I've dealt with death. Your mom doesn't have to fight death. Your mom doesn't have to overcome death. Your mom doesn't have to conquer death. I've done it for her. My mom wrote a song. You guys know about this. She wrote a song. She never wrote a song in her life. My mom was a banjo player. Now, y'all, we came from out in the sticks. We came out in the country. And everybody out there, man, they'd bring a washboard or they'd bring a fiddle or they'd bring a guitar. Some of them were awful, but they'd come over. We'd have a hoedown, man. They'd be over there just, just going for it, man. I didn't care as long as they brought me some white beans, cornbread, and some turnip greens. You can play anything you want to play as long as I get to eat. I'm a little boy, man. I'm just enjoying life. But my mama never wrote it, wrote any music, wrote any songs in her life. And she called me. She was in a nursing facility. She called me right before she went into the hospital, just a few weeks before she passed. And she said, son, come out here. She had laryngitis really bad last couple of years of her life. She said, son, come out here. I written me a song. I said, you written a song? Yeah, I written me a song. I said, okay. I went out there. I took somebody with me and she said, let me sing it for you. And we were like, man, we need to record this. We need to record it. So we ran and found a little cassette player. Some of you don't know what it is, but I don't have time to explain. But, but, but we went and got a cassette player. I got a sermon of mine that was on cassettes. I said, we'll just record over me. Cause, and we recorded it. I wish I had a, I've got it on, and now I've got it on you know, CD and all. But it was a simple little song. And her song was, someday I'm going to move up to heaven. Just a beautiful little song. And when she passed, Pastor Ginger sang it. Her sister April sang it. Paulette was there that day. I, I don't know if, if uh, Dorothy was there or not. These are Ginger's sisters out here, by the way. And, uh, but I just remembered, I remembered how my mom was not afraid of death. Now, here's what I want you to hear, and I'm, I'm closing. My mom, before she was saved, was afraid of her shadow. I was raised in a house of complete fear and terror. My mama worried about everything. She didn't have a man in the house. She tried to raise us. She did the best she could. She was afraid of everything. She talked worry. She talked fear. She's just all the time afraid. But here's what I know about my mom. When she was there that day, by the way, a woman went in, a nurse went in to give her a bath and the nurse's account to us was, well, here's what happened. I went in to give your mother her little bird bath there in, the, in her bed that morning. And she said, while I was doing, she looked up, up at me and said, I think I'll just go home now. And she closed her eyes and went to heaven. The woman who was afraid of everything, the woman who was in fear of everything, I think I'll just go to heaven because Tetelestai, Jesus finished off. When he, when he got up out of that grave, that was like, that was like the kill shot right there. The coup de grace. When he got up out of that grave, that was it. And the devil know the devil knows today that death really has lost its sting. And I say all this today to you to know, to, to remind you that on this day of all days, on Easter Sunday, on resurrection Sunday, our Christ has risen. Our Christ is alive. 
Our Christ has conquered death, hell, and the grave. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in worry. You don't have to sit around and, and wonder what would happen with this and what would happen with that because he's already taken it head on. Tetelestai. Everybody say tetelestai. It is finished. When he screamed it, I believe he shouted it from that cross that day. The Romans knew what he said and they thought he must have lost his mind in the last moment. Why would he be, because that was a sound of victory. And why would he shout that out when we're watching him die? But they did not know that he knew about the other side of death. Today is our day, folks. You are a believer. You ought to celebrate today. You ought to thank God. Your God is alive. He's not dead. He's not in the tomb. He overcame it. Don't be worried. Don't be fearful. Don't lay down at night and be in dread and despair any longer. Don't let the world get inside you. Don't let your friends terrorize you. Don't worry about the economy or the pandemic or whatever else is out there. Our God is alive. Give him a good shout. Hallelujah. out loud. Jesus, I believe you came, died on the cross, was raised from the dead for my sins. I repent. I don't want to be like the world. I receive the finished work of Jesus Christ. I make you my Lord. I make you my Savior. I'm yours forever because I know you're alive. Now give him a shout been listening to the Outreach.fm podcast with your host, Pastor William Luffman. We hope you've gotten some inspiration from this show. We enjoyed bringing it to you. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, reach out online. Find our website at faithoutreach.org. The streaming platform is livestreamchurch.com. Get an inspirational shot at a doseofhope.com. You've been listening to Outreach.fm. And remember, no matter what the weather may seem like in your life, the sun's going to shine again.